it's not plastic in itself that's the problem. It's just the way we're using it. Like it's an incredibly cheap, incredibly durable material. It's just not designed to be used to put hand washing that you use for a couple of weeks and then chuck in the bin. Mm. That's the challenge, right? It's it's how we're using it, not not the plastic itself. Yeah. So that's why our whole business model is, you know, there's all this plastic in the ocean. Let's get it out of the ocean. Let's turn it into dispensers that you keep at your house and you just have one. Like for the rest of your life, you just have one laundry liquid bottle because that's what plastic is designed to do. It's designed to last a lifetime. That is Mike Smith from Zero Co. And this is episode 306 of Better Than Yesterday. And welcome to Better Than Yesterday. I'm Osher Ginsberg, and this podcast is simply a conversation designed to help you make today a little bit better than yesterday. Um, I guarantee it. In the next hour or so, uh, you'll hear something to make you think, oh, I never considered that. Hmm, maybe change tack a little bit. Something that makes you think a little bit. Something that'll hopefully help you make today a little bit better than yesterday. And this is episode 306 of the show. There's 305 others to get through. If you if you like today's show is with Mike Smith. He's the, uh, I believe he's a CEO and co-founder or founder and CEO or just founder of um, uh, Zero Co, which is aiming to uh, eliminate single-use plastic from every Australian kitchen, laundry, and bathroom very ambitiously within a year of when they get going. Zeroco.com.au is on Instagram, et cetera, there. More about Mike in a moment. A big thanks to everybody and everyone that wrote in to say where they're listening to the show. It's so fun to see where you listen to this podcast. Send Osher email at gmail.com is the email address. Just take a photo. You're probably listening to this on a phone, so take a photo with that phone and just email it to me. Send Osher email at gmail.com. A cracking one came in from Mason. I uh, found your podcast through the boys at the Batuta Advocate. I want to thank you for a great show. Very slowly making my way through the back catalogue while very slowly cutting through steel beams. And wonderfully, he's taken a photo of what looks like to be an epic retrofitted um, industrial strength electric steel beam cutting machine. Um, it looks like a dead set widow maker. So, um, Mason, make sure you wear your safety gear around that. And I hope you've got uh, a safe way to listen to the show while you use that thing because you would go through the rest of your life getting called lefty if you use that thing wrong. Uh, but thanks very much for getting in touch there. Cracking, came, cracking on came in from Chris, who is regripping skateboards in South Perth. Got to do it. And a great design there. Chris, I've got to say, great skate deck design you've got going on there. Really stoked about that. Um, Tessa, who's sent me three fantastic pictures, um, going for a 16-mile run on the long, along the Golden Gate Bridge, which looks amazing. Um, what a run. What a run to do. Making vegan cheese biscuits and waiting for the Golden State Warriors uh, game, uh, basketball so I'm guessing, Tessie, you live up in San Francisco because, goodness me, it looks like it's all happening 16 miles. Yeah, man. Oh, I remember runs like that. That's a fantastic – what a fantastic thing to do. What a cracking, cracking run. I'm glad you can go for that run. I'm glad you took us with you. Thank you so much, Tessa. And a, a big one here from Jasmine who wanted to send a podsy. I'm listening on the very last flight out of Tokyo Haneda Airport before, before Typhoon Hagibis hits. Hoping all the people of Japan stay safe. Thanks for having a great podcast to distract me from 
during what is a slightly terrifying time. Uh, absolutely. Um, pretty full on. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll get to all that conversation. But thank you very much for, um, for sending those through. Send us your email at gmail.com. Also, uh, a quick thanks while I'm talking about correspondence for everyone that did rate and review the show in iTunes. It really, really, really helps us a lot. So if you like the show, the very best thing you can do for us is just tell somebody else about it. Uh, the second best thing you can do is to go to iTunes. They've just done a software update, so I don't know how to do this at the moment. I think they've made the podcast app separate in everything now. I don't know for sure, though. Just go there and find this show and rate it and review it, and that really, really helps us. Uh, big thanks to Callum, who's written How a Podcast Should Be. Osh is naturally warm and welcoming to his guests and listeners and is a master of the art of making everyone feel at ease. Oh, thanks very much, man. I appreciate that. Shaz has written, thank you thank you for the company down the Mitchell Freeway in Perth to work and back most days. You and your guests are very easy to listen to and love the couple around the birth of your baby. The but I can change a nappy or something to that effect made me cry the first time I heard you say it. And better than yesterday has been my motto these last few weeks. Only just found you around your 300th episode. I'm looking forward to listening to the earlier ones soon. I'm stoked, Shaz. I apologize for the theme music early on. It was pretty medley. We're very different these days, but so am I. Um, that's very sweet. Um, yeah, the, the line was, I can't change the world, but I can change a nappy. It was just trying to keep me in my headspace around being um, mindful and being in this moment and not, you know, just being aware of what I can affect and, you know, understanding that trying to affect things that I can't affect are just going to send me bonkers again. So, yeah, thank you so much uh, for that feedback. I'm really glad that 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 resonated like and along those lines to, to check in with you I guess um, I know I've been talking a lot about exposure therapy in recent weeks uh, someone did email me asking about dealing with obsessive compulsive disorder which I've been diagnosed with and uh, anxiety ruminating anxiety which is what I have but they were asking about obsessive compulsive disorder and I'm gonna I wanted to share what what worked for me the uncomfortable reality that I have found the and I've tried a lot of different ways to figure this out the uncomfortable reality is that for me to overcome the thing that I'm frightened of, I just need to be with it and practice being with the thing that I'm frightened of. Um, that is Wolfgang, by the way. He's strapped to my chest at the moment with crumbs in his hair because I just ate a piece of banana on gluten-free bread with peanut butter. He's getting a bit hungry, so he might just pipe up in the middle of this. Um, yeah, the uncomfortable reality is that to overcome the things that I'm afraid of, frightened of, things that terrify me, I just have to be with them and practice being with them again and again and again. A metaphor I would use is like, say you've just learned to drive and you go to visit a friend from school. Like we all learn to drive pretty much mostly in our late teens. You go to visit a friend from school for the first time you're driving by yourself. But only when you're driving by yourself do you realise that their driveway is really easy to get into but really hard to get out of. And when you're reversing out, you put a massive scrape down the side of your parents' car. And you feel awful and you feel ashamed and you feel like a failure and your friends give you shit about your crap driving. And then when you get home, you get in massive trouble and you have to pull extra shifts at Macca's or wherever you work to, to pay it off. And so, like, this is a really shameful event. It was really horrible and it's got a lot of emotion involved. So the next time you visit that friend, you park on the street. And soon enough, you avoid going to their house altogether because it reminds you of how much you messed up the car that day and how much trouble you got in. And worse, you start avoiding reversing down all driveways to avoid dealing with those feelings and the chance that something bad might happen. So you end up living the rest of your life being restricted to going to places that you could only park the car in front of. And even the sight of a tricky driveway gives you flashbacks and gives you chills. 
It's quite a broad example, but you can see that the only way to get over this, you really just got to get back on the horse. You got to get back behind the wheel. The over, only way to overcome an irrational fear of driveways is to get in the car and start reversing down driveways. Slowly, practice with help at first, guidance, people outside the car telling you how to go, and soon enough you'll get the hang of it. To take the time to deliberately lean into what scares you, to practice, 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 and build up your confidence bit by bit. It's the same as in, and is in the gym. If you're, you're trying to get stronger in the gym, you just push a little bit more every time. And just like at the gym, too much, you try to lift too much, you'll injure yourself. You tear muscles open, you bust ligaments. You'd be out of action for a couple of weeks and your whole you know, goals get thrown out the window. It's about 4%. 4% of the challenge more every time. That seems to be the magic number where the growth happens. So as much as it sucks, if I want this thing in my head to get better, I know I have to do this exposure therapy. So I know I've, I've spoken about this a bit on the show. In, in just a few weeks, um, with this new round of exposure therapy I'm doing with my therapist, I've gone from, and this might sound you know weird to you, but I don't care. This is what happens. I have been, up until only a few weeks ago, unable to open the weather app in my phone. Just looking at the numbers of the predicted highs was too much for me. I couldn't do it. So I had to, at first I was doing it under supervision and I sat in her office and we looked at it together and and now I do it a couple of times a day. And just in a couple of weeks, I've been able to start doing that. And so on Friday, I was traveling back from Melbourne. I was down there for um, a work thing. I was in the newsagent at the airport trying to grab some, some snacks because um, Melbourne airport is terrible when it comes to trying to get food that's vegan and gluten-free. Like seriously, uh, it's annoying. Anyway. That's time, the conversation for another time. Uh, but I was, there, I was there getting some getting some snacks. And I saw on the newsstand a magazine called The Monthly. And on the cover, it was saying all the stories were in there. But one of the stories, it says um, that there's a story inside this magazine about Australian real estate prices and rising sea levels. Now, immediately, the horror filled me. I was filled with it. But I grabbed the mag anyway paid for my snacks, paid for the magazine. I walked to the lounge. I sat down and I, even though I was shit scared, I sat down and I, I opened the magazine. I went straight to this article and I read a 10-page article about uh, local coastal councils in Australia diddling the numbers and fudging the science around sea level rise in Australia because they're trying to protect their property values and pretending that it's not happening. And I read this 10-page article and I didn't want to piss my pants, run or shout out to everyone around me to warn them, which is what usually wants to happen. In fact, I got to the end of the article and while, yeah, it was uncomfortable and shocking and stark and bleak and all of those things, I felt better about what I was reading about and even slightly more capable to deal with it as I now knew a lot more about the coastline of Australia and which particular communities are most in, in trouble. In fact, it's fair to say that the fear I felt walking past the magazine about 30 minutes before that, that fear, if I had to put a number on it, would probably be about 10 times worse than what it actually felt like to read it and realise and accept the things that were in there. And that's the trick, man. The thing, my brain can make it, my brain makes it bigger. It still sucks. It's still awful. I'm still overwhelmed. But less, 
Unless does it feel like oh, there was a film in a long time ago. I'm showing my age. I'm old. You know that. There was a film a long time ago called, I think it was called The Neverending Story, and they were worried about a thing called The Nothing coming to take over their their, their, their land, basically. And that's what it felt like for a long time, like The Nothing. Like there was this this kind of nothingness that was beyond, you know, temperatures get to a certain point, and then after that there was nothing. And I, and I was terrified because it was like the worst thing that my brain could possibly comprehend. And it was so bad that there was nothing there. And it was horrendous. I know Wolfie it was too. But less and less does it feel like that. It feels right now, now that there's information in my head, it feels like possibility because now like, okay, now we know what we can do. Slim possibility, I'll give you that, but it is possibility. And look, today, I, my exposure therapy today was listening to a pol- podcast that my therapist told me to listen to as much as I didn't want to. But I, I did it uh, to distract myself. I, 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 I was doing deadlifts at the gym today, so I'm lifting extraordinarily heavy shit. And <laughs> hit play. <laughs> and so I'm lifting heavy things while I'm listening to this stuff. It's a podcast called Outrage and Optimism, uh, which is a show put together by the very same people that put together the Paris Climate Conference. Um, it was really, really interesting. And to have that kind of contextualised, hearing these three people talk, these three, you know, people that have campaigned for climate uh, reform for for decades, to hear them speak and to get a, you know, to have my fears said by other people, it uh, it makes it better in some way, I guess. And with those two words, the the name of the podcast, I, I actually get a bit of direction about how to feel about things. Like, it seems that a mixture of outrage and optimism that seems like it can work for me today. So long story, long story short, uh, meds have helped me to make sure the exposure therapy is working. That's what seems to be working right now. That and baby cuddles. That's me kissing the top of his head because he's on the, he's in a baby carrier on me right now. And remembering to find joy in the little small moments. The smell of his hair like that. You can't smell it, but it smells like baby hair. Oh, he's, 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 his rooting reflex is happening in my chest. I'm sorry, mate. That's there's nothing there. I know it feels like there's a boob there, but it's that's just my peck. I wish. <laughs> As my friend Ruben Meerman, the scientist Ruben Meerman says, these are the good old days. So let's try and enjoy them, shall we? Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So let me tell you about my guest today. Mike Smith is a quite an experienced entrepreneur coming out of Sydney, Australia. He's currently building his fourth business. It's called Zero Co. And the aim there, their big lofty goal there, is they're trying to pull one million single-use plastic bottles out of Australia, out of the system, I guess, the recycling and system, in their first year of operation. Uh, like, what, what, that's, well, one million is their goal, but essentially he wants to eliminate single-use plastic bottles from every kitchen, laundry, and bathroom in Australia. And their goal is to re- eliminate one million of these bottles in the first 12 months. Mike and I met quite by accident one day. I'm recording my podcast these days at the Batuta Advocate uh, Studios. And um, around the corner from them is the Burke Street Bakery, which is a famous bakery in, in that part of Sydney. And I went to go pick up a pie and a tasty baked treat for Audrey because um, she, you know, needed one of the pie for lunch. And he was just outside having a meeting. And um, we spoke briefly. He told me about what he was doing, asked me if I'd like to get involved. And in the spirit of wading into things that terrify me, I said, yes. Zeroco.com.au, Z-E-R, sorry, Z. E-R-O-C-O.com.au is where you can get involved. Now, to reach his goal of a million bottles in the first 12 months, he needs 14,000 Australians to sign up onto their Kickstarter. As of recording this, there's a little under, hang on, let me hit refresh and you'll know exactly where is they at. Let me hit refresh here. It's uh, just under, just under, uh, just under 3,000 as we're speaking right now. I'm pretty sure that number's going to climb after you've heard this. Uh, Mike is building a unique business, one that is, as all businesses aim to do, filling a need. But it's a need that so many Australians know need to happen. We know single-use plastic is not good. We know we want to use less of it. The solution of how to use less of it and still have a modern life is a tricky one. And that's where Mike comes along. He just, we, just want, we know the right thing to do. We just want to be told what to do and we'll all do it, you know? It's a shame that it has come to businesses to take the lead here, but until our government looks at this as the national threat that it is, business is the best hope we've got. So get on board, sign up, zeroco.com.au, Z-E-R-O-C-O.com.au, and enjoy this conversation with Mike Smith. How are you, man? You good? I'm good. You good? I'm good. I'm good. Excited, stressful. Yeah. I don't know. It's great. As we speak, I walked in here. We're at the Patuta Studios. As we walked in here, you're on the laptop, no doubt, hitting refresh <laughs> on a Kickstarter. Where is your Kickstarter as we speak? We, we were at about 205 grand this morning. And your goal was? 250. So we gave ourselves like six and a bit weeks to get there. It'll be a week tomorrow. Amazing. So it's uh, it's been incredible. Like it's blown us all the way, you know. Yeah. And we have, I've kind of stopped the refresh. You know, routine, because the first couple of days, I just sat in front of my computer and just refresh, yeah. refresh, yeah. refresh. But now I've realized I've just got to get away from that, you know, because yeah. there's a whole bunch of stuff we've got to do other than just raise this money. Yeah. So, yeah, but it's been an incredible start. We're blown away by it. Yeah, extraordinary. Yeah. So, I will have given the big intro and hopefully by the time this airs, we'll have a humongous number yeah, that yeah, I'll, yeah. Say, and I'll say. <laughs> and at the time we spoke, it was just over 200 and, yeah. and I will have given a, a bit of a a bit of a blurb yep. into into why, but I think 
the number that you're seeing today is reflective of just how much as a community, mm. as a society, I don't care who you vote for, people just want to, just tell me what to do. Yeah. Let me, just, I can see we're in a fucking heap of trouble. Yeah, totally. Give me, give me action. Give totally. me action. Yeah, 100%. And, like, that's been the biggest insight from this first week is just people just want to solve this problem. Yes. Right? And it's people from everywhere, you know, it's people from Bendigo, it's people from Perth, it's people from Sawtell, it's people from Sydney, you know, it's, it's people right across the country, right across the age yeah. spectrum. It's not just West End and Surrey Hills it's and, not, and Brunswick. Yeah, which is, which is great, right? Because that's what it's going to take to solve this problem is everyone – you know, all Aussies from all walks of life saying, yeah, let's solve this problem. Yeah. Uh, and I think there's, you know, there's so much talk out there in the media now about this problem. And there's almost an industry that's been built around talking about the problem, but there's not a whole lot of people providing a solution, you know, a tangible, real world, everyday affordable solution mm. that's accessible to everyone. Mm. Right. And so that's what our whole thing has been. Let's just Let's just not even talk about the problem. You know, our whole our whole approach has been we're not here to bash people over the head about the plastic problem. You know, everybody knows it exists. There's enough people already talking about it. Let's just put a really positive spin on this and say, hey, we can solve this. And if we work together, here's the solution. Let's just let's just go and do it. You know, as a country, let's lead the world. Let's show everyone that we're serious about it. And let's just go and do it. And in six weeks, you know, we're hoping to get ten thousand Aussies on board, yeah. and uh, and we can solve it. Yeah, it's 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 humor. I mean, yes, you're right. Everybody does know. You'd be foolish and would have ignored facts. What's my two favorites? I'd love to know your two favorites. I think my two favorites are those. There's a prediction that if we don't do anything by 2050, there will be as much mass of plastic in the ocean as there are mass of fish. That's a crazy number, right? Which is <laughs> horrendous. That's a crazy. And thing. the other one was that was it in snowfall in Colorado they found plastic. Mm. That's crazy, right? Microplastics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The 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 one that got me was the the plastic at the bottom of the Marianas Trench, right? The, the deepest, the part. deepest part of the ocean. is plastic. It's it's insane. Yeah, it's really insane. It's tricky though because you can't deny how incredibly valuable a product plastic is mm. for our society, for our community, as far as food supply, as far as water supply, as far yeah. as healthcare. It would be tough to imagine. You can't like not use mm. plastic overnight. Totally, it's done enormous good for us. Yeah, for our, yeah it has for our health, yeah. for our well-being, for our safety, for our quality of life, yeah. for life expectancy, for infant mortality, whatever you want yeah, to talk about. Yeah, just the it. functioning of our society, right? It's and yet it has come at this mm. colossal cost. Yeah, I think the challenge is though, it's not plastic in itself that's the problem like you said it's an amazing invention right it's just the way we're using it like it's an incredibly cheap incredibly durable material it's just not designed to be used to put hand wash in that you use for a couple of weeks and then chuck in the bin mm. that's the challenge right it's it's how we're using it not not the plastic itself yeah so that's why our whole business model is you know there's all this plastic in the ocean let's get it out of the ocean let's turn it into dispensers that you keep at your house and you just have one like for the rest of your life, you just have one laundry liquid bottle, right? Just because mm. that's what plastic is designed to do. It's designed to last a lifetime. Yeah. As a, I'm grateful to call her a friend, Dr. Ayana Johnson. She's a marine biologist. She's a professor at NYU. And she's got this line. She opens it where she goes, like, every piece of plastic ever created is still in existence. Yeah. That's a lot. It's a lot of plastic. If that doesn't <laughs> chill you to the core. Yeah, yeah, totally. You know, it's it is. You're right. It's a it's a compound designed to never break down, mm. to live forever, like to be resilient. To it's extraordinary that we've been able to design this thing that can hot, cold, mm. you know, wet, 
you know, acids, you name it, it can withstand it. You know, see in Breaking Bad when they're lugging those tubs of acid around, that's plastic. Yeah, 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 you know? totally. <laughs> it's yeah. incredible. Yeah. And yet how we deploy it and what we do with it when we're done with it yeah. has been the thing that's undone us. Totally. Yeah. And when you when you go around the world, so this idea came about my wife and I went on this big 18-month trip around the world, right? And Hang when- on. Who gets the time to take 18 months off work? <laughs> You're not a young man. Uh, I was fortunate enough to build a business and, and sell it. Okay, hang on. Wait, 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 wait. Okay, so this isn't your first gig, is it? No, let's let's is... talk about let's talk about where you know what what you did before. This, this will be my fourth ride on the pony. Your fourth ride, your yeah. fourth business that you built. It will be. Yes. That's humongous. Yeah. What were uh, the first two? So the first one that I got involved with was uh, called Hot Chip, and it was kind of a precursor to Fitbit, but for surfers. Right, so we. Built, I remember that we built this piece of wearable technology that was designed for surfers. I'm a, I'm a surfer. You wore it in the water it with tra- Andrew Valder. With Andrew Valder. Ah, yes. yeah, yeah. I work yeah. with Andrew Valder. He's been on this show. Yeah, right. I remember that's how I know Hot Chip. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So Andrew and Valder and I worked on that project. It was an awesome experience. I was like 25 at the time. My first startup. We had a bidding war between Quicksilver and, and Billabong for the technology. We ended up doing a deal with Billabong. We got flown over to Hawaii to launch this at the at the Pipe Masters. Mick Fanning was wearing it. I'm hanging out with like all my childhood idols on the beach at Pipeline. Kelly Slater's there, Mick Fanning's there, Parko's over there. They're all wearing this piece of technology that we developed to track their activity in the water. So it was an amazing, just like incredible thing to do when you're 25. And then the GFC happened right? And Billabong nearly went bankrupt, right? It was nearly bought by Kmart. Everyone in the global senior management team <laughs> left the business yeah. and just all new projects got put on hold basically. Yeah, yeah. And so it, av- it actually never went to, to stores. It never, it never actually saw the light of day. We did a kind of media launch of it at Pipeline. So somewhere in a, on a shelf in the back cupboard of, of Billabong, <laughs> there's, this, there's this idea that's sitting there that never saw the light of day. So that was the first project that I did, which was an amazing, awesome experience. Yeah. Then I went and started a, a wine brand called Cake Wines uh, with a really good friend of mine. Uh, that was in about 2011, I think we started that business. Uh, so making wines out of Adelaide Hills, we had like a, a national distribution network. We opened a cellar door here in Redfern, uh, which was an amazing you know experience. We, I grew that business for about six years. That was ended up being acquired by the biggest independent wine business in Australia, and that's when we decided to. Uh, my wife and I decided to pack up and uh, and head overseas. Uh, my wife during that time started a, a swimwear brand called Rye Swim, which I was putting some money into and helping her on the kind of sideline. Yeah, and so after those kind of three experiences, we just said, let's let's just take some time out. Let's yeah. just let's just chill. It was for me, it was ten years back to back of of startup life. Whoa. Right in the trenches, you know, yeah. no holidays, no money, every dollar yeah. you're making is going back into the business, you know, yeah. living on magic noodles in the early days, a full hardcore startup vibe. Yeah. Managed to sell cake wines, put a bit of money in the back pocket and said, let's take some time out, take a deep breath, go and travel the world before we come back and have kids, basically. Yeah. So we, we just went on this huge trip around the world and that's kind of where Zeroco came from because we just saw plastic everywhere, you know. People expect to see plastic in places like India or Indonesia or China where it's big, dense population centres. But, you know, we, we tried to do this trip as far off the tourist trail as, as we could go. You know, we spent three months in the Middle East and Central Asia, trekked along the border with Tajikistan and Afghanistan, stayed in Kurdish villages on the border of Iran and Iraq, went up to Kamchatka, which is a far northeast peninsula of, of Russia, kind of opposite Alaska. You know, these places that are crazy out of the way to get to, and we would do, you know, 
two, three week trek sometimes where you wouldn't see another person up into, you know, these, these mountains in the Himalayas or in the Hindu Kush, you know, 5,000 meters above sea level, no human presence whatsoever. And you'd get to the end of this two week trek to a beautiful, pristine turquoise alpine lake. And there's plastic in the bottom of the lake. And you just think, how, how the hell did this get here? Like, I don't even know how it gets there. And so when you see that, when you see plastic in places where there just should not be plastic, it, it really got to both of us. And that's when we started thinking about come back to Australia. Next project is going to be something about solving this plastic problem, mm. trying to have some impact in whatever small way I could to try and strip some of this plastic out of the system. So then basically the last probably nine months of the trip, I just started researching plastic and just reading articles and getting into the circular economy and trying to understand the plastic supply chain, trying to understand what solutions are kind of being talked about or starting to happen around the world. And so came back to Australia with a, a kind of a rough idea of what a solution could look like. We got married when we got back. So I came back in February, got married in March, did a six-week wedding plan, got married at my, at my now wife's farm in Wagga, and then sat down and said, okay, let's, let's figure out this problem. So then I, I spent a really uncomfortable amount of time in supermarkets, <laughs> creepily following people around supermarkets and watching how they're shopping, watching what stuff they're buying. And I guess the big aha moment came when I started spending time in the last three aisles of the supermarket where, you know, the home cleaning and the personal care stuff is the shampoo and the conditioner and the laundry liquid and the multi-purpose cleaner. It's totally the least sexy part of the supermarket. None of those products are, are cool or exciting, but it's just rampant for single-use plastic, right? You go into those those aisles and it's just floor to ceiling, one end of the aisle to the other. It's just all single-use plastic. So that's when I said to myself, okay, here's a huge category. There, it mightn't be sexy, but it's everyday essentials. Every household in Australia, I hope, cleans their toilet, you know, at least semi-regularly. Every household in Australia washes their clothes. Every household washes their hands and their bodies. This is a rampant industry for single-use plastic, and there's no real mainstream alternative at the moment. So that's when we said, okay, this is the industry we're going to go after to start this movement. We're going to tackle single-use plastic in the, in the home cleaning and personal care category. Mm. There's a, so there's a few things I'd love to dig into there. So let's get the, some definitions out. Mm. Single-use yeah. plastic. Let's, yeah. def, let's define that. Yes. Well, look, it's, I had a brand contact me only a few days ago. I'm not going to name names here, but a, a prominent Australian brand has contacted me uh, to talk about our definition of single-use plastic. Uh, they were a little bit concerned about, I don't know if you've seen the Kickstarter video, but I basically go around my house and pull all the single-use plastic out of all the cupboards and, uh -huh. and show the stuff that's in my... There's a few logos there? Well, we tried to not put any logos. Uh -huh. We deliberately turned all the bottles around backwards because... But the bottle shapes are identifiable. You can identify it. Yeah. Some of them you can identify. And if you work for a company... You'll mark. You'll know it's your yeah, bottle, yeah. right? And they were like, hang on a sec. So I got an email from a guy saying, you know, it's not quite fair to have our product in the in the mix. Mm. Uh, we're made from recyclable material, which is great. Uh, and I guess for me, there's a, there's a distinction for me between single use and what I de determined to be single use and what they obviously determined to be single use. So obviously, if you're, if you're a company and you're making your plastic out of recycled plastic, that's much better than making plastic out of, out of virgin material, right? Mm -hmm. So the current supply chain, I guess, is we extract oil from the ground. There's a byproduct that's turned into what they call in the industry virgin material, brand new plastic that gets turned into little pellets sent to a facility, melted down and blown into a shell, a bottle shape, right? A lot of brands are still doing that. Every single bottle that gets made comes from brand new oil that's pulled out of the ground. 
some brands have started using 100% recycled plastic, which means they're taking plastic that's been used once before, sending it back to a recycling facility. It's been broken down, repelletized, sent back to the manufacturer and turned back into a bottle, right? So that's obviously much, much better than using new plastic every time. Uh, but I think we need to leapfrog that, that whole approach, right? Because even if it's made from 100% recycled material, if you're just buying it once and you're using it and you're putting it in the bin, it is still single use and it's still got a, a truck has got to come to your house and pick up that bottle and drive it to a facility. It's got to be broken down, cleaned and remade again. So that's an incredibly carbon intensive process. Vast amount right? of energy. Right? Vast amount of A energy. lot of energy. And I'm not going to get into the recycling crisis in Australia, but a lot of the plastics not actually being recycled. So for me, single use is if you buy it from the supermarket, you take it home, you use it and you put it in the bin. To me, that is the, that's the simplest definition of a single-use piece of plastic, right? So what we're trying to do is strip that whole system, the whole need to recycle out of, out of the whole system and you have one dispenser that you use for your entire life, right? So you will have a laundry liquid bottle that we'll send to you that's made from plastic that's been pulled out of the ocean. So our model is to flip the model on its head, completely cut out new plastic altogether, completely cut out recycling, get our plastic feedstock from the ocean, plastic that's already out in the world, that's already been used and has been littered and is now going into the ocean and destroying the, you know, the marine environment. Let's take that plastic out of the ocean, turn it into a bottle, a dispenser mm. that you keep at your house forever and you use once. And then we have refill sachets that are made from um, 100% recycled material, plastic that is diverted from landfill. So we're working with a packaging company that's been able to get what's called post-industrial waste. So it's, it's plastic that's been produced for a purpose and hasn't gone to market and is otherwise literally going to be heading to landfill. So we're using offcuts and scraps and basically the junk out of big manufacturing processes to make a reusable sachet that then gets delivered to your house. You use it, you fill up your dispenser, you send it back to us, we refill it. So there is no single-use plastic in the entire zero-co supply chain. Mm -hmm. So for me, that's where we're headed, which is leapfrog recycling, get rid of single-use plastic and move to a reuse, completely mm. circular supply chain. Taking recycling out of the chain is a powerful, powerful move. I'm reading this fantastic book at the moment. I think Stan Grant told me to read it. A book called How We Got to Now. And mm -hmm. he, so you've heard of the butterfly effect where yep. the, the flap of butterfly's wings in California can be linked yes. through a chain to a hurricane in the Atlantic. Yep. The hummingbird effect is how the humming, how because a flower developed in a certain way, mm -hmm. it sh the hummingbird then developed a new way to fly. Yep. And these two things would have never happened if one were the other. So the, the hummingbird effect, a perfect example of the hummingbird effect is um, Gutenberg creates a printing press. Yep. Suddenly, for the first time in human history, a huge amount of the population realizes I can't see things close to me. Mm. Oh, I never had to look at things this close. Never had to. Oh, shit. I, okay. So, I need to invent glasses. Bingo. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. What is glasses? We start playing with lenses. Lenses. Oh, wow. Look, I can magnify things. Oh, wow. Galileo now sees the thing. Mm -hmm. Boom. Now, and they're like, just bang, 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 mm -hmm. all the way to now we discover microbes and we have germ theory. Yeah. Because it just explodes to mm. an, a completely unrelated thing because one thing identified the thing for another, like it's an extraordinary idea because it disrupts so much of the existing 
processes. Yeah. Um, like a, a piece of plastic in a in a lake in the Himalayas is horrible, but it is it is a symptom yep. of a system. Yep. And uh, it's it's not just picking up litter. It's like no, there's a whole reason that that's here that's not okay. So hopefully by attacking what you're attacking, you're gonna further way upstream gonna gonna deal with that, which is great. You mentioned another really interesting word there, which I'd like to talk about: circular economy. Can yeah. you discuss that, please? Yeah. So, look, I'm not an expert in any of this stuff, right? It's all right. I, I don't profess enough. to be an expert, and I'm probably never going to be an expert. I'm just a guy who wants to try and figure out a solution to this thing, right? Yeah. And so, what I've kind of learned about the circular economy is it's a really great idea, right? There's a lot of literature out there. There's a lot of people on the public speaking circuit who are out there talking about it. But there's not a lot of great examples of it actually being implemented, right? So that's kind of what we're trying to set out to do here is to prove that this elusive circular economy business model can is not only feasible but is scalable and profitable, right? Because if you can prove that this new way of doing stuff is profitable, then Unilever is going to come and do it and Procter & Gamble is going to come and do it and Johnson & Johnson are going to come and do it. Like if we can get the, all the big multinational companies to see that there is an opportunity here from a commercial perspective, mm. they're going to change their ways because, look, Zeroco is not going to solve the world's problems. We're not delusional about being able to solve this problem ourselves. But if we can, in our own little way, go and show that this model works and we can nudge the big guys to copy us, mm. then we can have a real impact. And so that's why our whole mission is about getting yeah. as many Aussies on board as possible to mm. send a message to the supermarkets and send, send a message to the big brands that this is the way we want to do stuff now. Yeah. You're Elon Musk giving away your patents. At exactly. Point. Yeah. So our yeah. whole thing is going to be we are going to encourage people to mm. other brands to copy our, our model because mm. then if, if everyone comes, if all the big brands do this, we all win. Everybody wins. <laughs> and, what's, and I always used to think this, you know, if, if we wanted to change nutrition, you know, all it would take is McDonald's to go, hey, guys. Yeah. We change their menu. They've already got the supply chain. Yeah, they've yeah, already yeah. got the cold chain. They've already got the manufacturers. They've already got the farms. Yep. They've got everything. And they've got the habits of the consumer to be like, oh, no, this is where I get my food. I guess this is what I'm eating now. Yeah. You know, so yeah. the idea of someone like, if you mentioned, like, I can't imagine between Procter & Gamble, Johnson & Johnson and Unilever, the billions of bottles mm. that yep. are used every day. Yeah, totally. They've already got the logistics. They own the trucks. They own the, you know, they've got, it's all there. It's all there. It's all there. Yeah, it's just uh, the upstream change is yeah. what will people, I guess this is what we use now. Yeah. You know, this is what this is what we do. It's like in this city of Sydney, it's like, well, we're drinking desalinated water now. That's yeah. what we're doing. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. this is just what this decision was made for us. And okay, yeah. that's what's happening. Now we're doing that. And now we're doing that. Yeah, know, yeah. It's, it's not a great thing, but it's, you know, it's what we're doing. So it's the upstream, the, 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 that's where it's got to happen. Yeah, totally. The, having an individual do it is one thing, but having the the big player upstream make the move yep. that's what causes the huge change what did you say to the guy that or the girl or the person that contacted you about the single use i just said look we're not here to, we're not here to pick fights mm. right we're not going to name names we're not here to point the finger at anybody that's when we just want to get engaged in negativity like yeah we just want this to be a really positive movement and that kickstarter video is just an honest reflection of stuff that's in my mm. house well it's in my parents house because i've moved back in with my parents yeah. to get this idea off the ground right wow um so i just said like we're not picking a fight here we're not pointing fingers it's just this is what's in my parents cupboards mm. right now let's just let's just get rid of it yeah. let's all work together and and solve the problem it really it really is one of those things you know and i think this is why that you haven't done anything but put a website up and it's 10 days later all yeah. right but i think the idea of um, you know people once said that's not my line but you know if you look at a stock market 
any any given day on the stock market will give you an accurate reflection of the way people in a society are thinking. Yep. Right. This is what they feel confident in. This is what they don't feel confident. Yep. In. This is the decisions they're making. They, you know, they're buying less oil. They're buying more. You know, whatever. Yeah. All right. And I think it, it's very much an indicator that vast amounts of the community are just like we just want something to do. Just yeah, yeah. show us something to do. And and it, totally, it does make me yearn for in our country leadership that would then go, hey, here's what we're going to do about this. Yep. Unfortunately, it is more and more turning to businesses, yep. which shouldn't be the way, but it is. I don't know if that's going to be fast enough. Uh, what The other day on the NRL Grand Final, did you see what was written on the field? I didn't know. VB. Okay. V fucking B. <laughs> has a massive logo of the NRL Grand Final on the, you know, they've got it so it's in the right yeah, perspective yeah, yeah, when yeah. the cameras look at it, right? Yeah. It says VB. Um, Brewed with 100% offset solar from 2020. Yeah, right. Well, see, there you go. VB. Yeah, it's happening. Not bloody <laughs> Newtown forearm tap, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. you know, young Henry's hip, hippie ale. <laughs> yeah. Not, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, I'm I'm from West End in Brisbane, and this is my organic kombucha yeah, yeah. made with no. It's like VB. It's VB. <laughs> yeah, the biggest, oldest, most conservative beer brand in the country. Yeah. What does that tell you? It's a great sign, right? Isn't it? It's a great sign. Yeah. But that might be what it takes. People just want an option. Yeah. You know, we, you know, I fly for my job. Yeah. I offset every, every plane yep. that I take. I'd love to have an option. Yeah. And I think just through the, just the fact that I live in a modern society and I have a, a modern life, you know, there's aspects of my existence that, require carbon to be admitted into the atmosphere yep. and I wish it wasn't the way and I, I offset everything I possibly can. I even figured out how much <laughs> carbon it took to make my car. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Nine tons if you're interested. Right. Uh, and I offset that. Yeah, awesome. like Whatever I can do, yeah, yeah. You know, I want to be able to do and I think that I th- I'm not alone. No, you're I not. I think there's many people that yeah. just want that. Yeah, man. totally. And I think that's what you really hit on. Yep. Every day for the last – we were on day six today – Every for the last six days, I wake up in the morning and my inbox is just full of emails from complete strangers just saying that this is awesome, basically, right? And just saying, thank you for doing this because we want it. We just want this solution. And so many people are like, oh, I had that idea. Like, I had that idea. I should have done it, you know? Yeah. Which is awesome because it means that people are into it. And so it's been so heartening for me to wake up every day and go, People get it. Well, I certainly hope, and hopefully through this conversation, you know, we can let other entrepreneurs kind of know. And, and I'll never forget, it was a, a bloke by the name of Shia Gassi. He's a, he started an electric car company called Better Place. It was, a, I don't know, in the electric car world, there was Beta and VHS, right? And yep. Shia Gassi's was a battery swap model okay. where you basically pulled your car up to something yep. equivalent of a car wash. Yeah, swap and go. Thing, swap and go, boom, and you drive away with a full yep. battery. Yep. Um, didn't take off. Yeah. But- I'll never forget. I saw him at a, uh, do a keynote once. Incredible guy. And um, he just says, make no mistake, there are billions of dollars to be made in mm. saving the planet. Yeah. Billions. Yeah. And I certainly hope that other entrepreneurs and other companies are buoyed on by mm. the response to what's happening here with yep. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, holy shit, yep. we can make some serious coin here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, this is how it's going to be solved. I, I genuinely believe, and like I don't want to poo-poo petitions, because they're great, but 
if you want to create change, you've got to go and do it. That's all. That's always been my philosophy, right? And so this project has been me saying, I don't want single-use plastic in my life. I'm pretty sure other people don't. I'm just going to go and build a solution. And I'm pretty sure people will come on board and, and join the mission. And this is how it's going to happen with other entrepreneurs going, there's an opportunity to do something, seeing a big problem in the world and finding an opportunity and then solving that problem, right? And other people will come on board. That's how it's going to happen. And then the big guys will react because the only way the big guys react is if you hurt their bottom line. So as soon as Zero Co starts taking revenue away from Unilever or from whoever, they're going to notice that and then they're going to change their ways. Like we can, we can sit around and send a petition to Unilever all we want. It's not going to change their behavior until it has a financial impact on their business. That's just the nature of the world. And that, so that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to hurt everyone else's bottom line so that they change their behavior so that we all win, right? It's as honest as I can be about it. Look, what a great business model. <laughs> I think, you know, you should, you should go up to UTS and, and lecture straight away. I'm sure you're not alone. You know, I'm sure you're not alone in other, you know, I'm sure there's other entrepreneurs that are, that are working in, this, in totally. this space. And I hope that this project, we're only six days in, we've still got 40 days to go on this campaign. I hope we do get 10,000 Aussies on board so we can strip a million bottles out of the um, supply chain in our first year. Because then that, that does, it sends ripples. Like there's people already contacting us from America saying, when are you launching in America? When are you launching in the UK? So already people have become aware of this project we're working on. And I, I have no doubt that someone in America, an entrepreneur will see this campaign and go and start doing one like tomorrow probably. Yeah. And that's great. Like as much as I'd love to be able to go and launch Zero Co in America, someone's going to beat me to it. And that's awesome because then there's a, the, a solution. And our whole thing is going to be like radically transparent business model. If there's anyone listening that wants to know how I'm doing it, email me and uh, I'll tell you because the more businesses who do this, the better the result for everybody. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be... Uh... Yeah, it, it is, and and how your your attitude your attitude towards it is, I think the attitude that people are gonna have to have yep. moving forward. I've come up with this humongous idea that will strip plastic out of the economy, strip plastic out of the environment. Yet you can't have it because it's mine. Yeah. While I don't know, fifty years ago that might have been the way that you know would get investors on board. Yeah. I think now we just haven't got the time. Yeah. yeah We've yeah, just totally. got to be able to go listen. Copy yeah, it. You, yeah, you're, you're literally, yeah, yeah. you're Elon Musk taking the patents off the walls going, have it, yep. do it, go. go. Yep. He's exactly how he did it. Totally. And it's a big world and there's lots of people and there's lots of markets, right? So <laughs> like, 
If we can do a really good job here in Australia, maybe yeah. we go to New Zealand. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe we encourage other people to do it in India or in China or in mm. France or Germany or wherever, right? Yeah. Because the more people doing this, the better. Well, what, what are the basic needs? What does, a, what does a community need? It needs for your business model, you need, because you're using a, a postal service. Mm-hmm. That's basically it, isn't it? Yeah. Just as long as you have a postal service. Yeah, yeah. All of the infrastructure exists for this idea everywhere in the world. We're not inventing anything new here. Yeah. The machines exist. The supply chains exist. The materials exist. Yeah. You know, we're not reinventing the wheel here. It's not like you need to put a, a factory somewhere as long as you can ship a container full of the stuff there yep. and then have a warehousing situation where people can deliver to and from. Yeah, that's totally. Fine. Yep. You're in. It's all there. Yeah. And there's people that make hand wash in every country in the world. Mm-hmm. It's like we're not inventing a new product category here. No. There's manufacturing systems, there's supply chains, it's all there. It's just having the willpower mm. to challenge the model, the way that it's delivered uh, and going and doing it. And you're carbon offsetting the, the entire process, including the delivery. So right now, we're going to be offsetting the delivery part of it um, through a whole bunch of certified um, carbon offsets. There's, we'll be working with a whole bunch of different third-party courier and uh, logistics partners, and most of them now have got certified carbon offset programs. But the goal eventually is to have our own fleet of electric vehicles operating in capital cities because there's a difference between carbon offsetting and zero carbon, right? So carbon offsetting is you put it in a truck that's or in a van that's powered by petrol and it has emissions to deliver it to your house. And then we go and do something to offset that emission by buying a credit that goes and plants seaweed or plants mangroves or, or whatever, right? Through the carbon trading system. But then there's zero carbon, which is no carbon produced in the first place. So if you can get to a point where we have electric vehicles on the road that are charged by solar power, then there is no carbon emitted at all. So we don't need to do the offset stuff, which is, you know, if we can get to that point as a society, man, that's well, that's where we've got to get to. So our vision is to get there as quickly as we can. Obviously, it takes a bunch of money to go and buy a bunch of electric vehicles. Mm. So again, the more people that come on board and support the Kickstarter campaign, <laughs> the quicker we can get the quicker we can get electric vehicles on the road, the quicker we can solve the totality of the problem. Uh, yeah. And then I guess as part of that carbon offset program, we've got a, a not-for-profit called the Seaweed Project, which we've been talking about collaborating on to have a direct impact on that where we will take funds from ZeroCo and we will go and build plant large-scale seaweed farms to extract carbon from the atmosphere, deacidify the oceans, help with fishery depletion. That's the kind of big long-term vision we've got here is tackle the plastic problem with our business and the proceeds from the business helps tackle the climate problem by stripping carbon out of the atmosphere. Well, then that's that's really a, a humongous part of what we need to do, we are doing, and we will need to do far more of is to pull the carbon out of the system. Totally. Having five billion years of stored solar energy, because mm-hmm. when, you know, whatever coal, oil, you name it, it's essentially solar energy, mm-hmm. and it, but it's been stored in either liquid form or a solid form. Yep. To then unleash that yep. into an atmosphere, suddenly you've got five billion years worth of carbon sitting in totally. the atmosphere at once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not great. Yeah, um, <laughs> not a great idea. Not a great not idea. Not one of humanity's best ideas. No, but great ideas is how do we get it back out? Exactly. Um, sucking it out of the air, very tricky because yep. the air is the air. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a very conductive substance. It's gaseous. It's hard. It's mm-hmm. not very concentrated. Seawater, however, mm. far more concentrated, mm. far more conductive. Totally. So there's all kinds of interesting ways you can pull carbon out of seawater and um, – Tell, talk to me about the seaweed. Uh, <laughs> tell, tell me about that. Like I, I've seen some extraordinary projections. What is good about 
seaweed as far as getting carbon out of the out of the system. Yeah. Okay. So look again, I'm by no means an expert in this area. Again, it's I'm on a learning journey with this. I read Tim Flannery's book, watched the TED talks. I've started digging into into carbon capture stuff. And look, my philosophy here is that there's a really great natural existing solution to this problem, which is... That requires zero energy. <laughs> which doesn't require anything, right? That's been formed over millions of years of evolution to do exactly what we're trying to do as a species, which is take carbon out of the atmosphere, right? And that's plants, okay? So you have a whole bunch of different plants that can extract and store carbon in different quantities. You have mangroves is a really great one. You have obviously grasslands and forests, and then you have kelp, seaweed, and there's been a, a little bit of study going on around the world and a few people starting to look at this. But the research shows that kelp has the potential, the greatest possible potential of all of the plant options to extract carbon from the atmosphere. Some of the species can grow up to a meter a day. Um, Holy shit. Yeah, it's crazy. And essentially, it's grass that grows in the sea, right? And you can grow a meter a day on each, each one of these strands. It is pulling carbon out of the ocean. It's deacidifying the ocean and it has, you know, flow on effects of the places where they've done tests on this stuff around the world, fishery environments start to, to blossom again because there's, you're creating a natural environment where fish want to go. So it's not only tackling the carbon problem, it's also helping with fisheries depletion. Yeah. So there's a whole bunch of business models being explored now. You know, there's a whole bunch of commercial opportunities for the seaweed itself as, you know, a protein source for the billions of people in Asia that are coming out of poverty and are looking for protein. Uh, it's being used as fertilizer. There's a whole bunch of commercial opportunities for the seaweed itself apart from or separate to the fact that it's just taking carbon out of the atmosphere and either putting it to the bottom of the ocean or turning it into a new product. So, yeah, let's kind of discuss that for a little bit because I think my very, very layman's explanation of this is that we've gotten away with doing what we're doing as far as burning things yep. uh, at scale since the Industrial Revolution because the ocean has done an extraordinary job of absorbing the carbon out of the atmosphere. Correct. All right, if the ocean didn't do it, we would have been fucked a long time ago. Yep. But the ocean, this huge, vast, massive, you know, 72% of the planet is covered in this stuff, yep. has been sucking the carbon out of the atmosphere atmosphere. Unfortunately, what that does, it creates carbonic acid inside mm -hmm. the ocean, which is the tingly thing you get on your tongue when you uh, sip a, a fizzy drink. Yes. That's carbonic acid. Yes. That's the acidification we're talking about. Not good for uh, anything Anything that lives there. <laughs> not right? very good. Nobody wants an acidic environment. It's, no. It, it burns your tongue. It'll burn a fish. Yes. All right? Not great. Yes. Uh, it kills things. Bad. Too many fish floating around with burnt tongues right now. Bad. All right. <laughs> also, you know, I think quite significantly weakens the shells of crustacea yeah, and, yeah. And, and such and such. So- Bad, bad, bad. Yeah. However, taking carbon out of the ocean is taking carbon out of the atmosphere because it's come, it's Correct. one step after we've put it in there. Yep. It's gone to the air, the ocean sucked it out, we're sucking it from there. Yep. Okay. And then when you talk about everything is made of carbon. Yes. Every single thing is made mm -hmm. of carbon. So a, a meter a day of this particular plant mm -hmm. is a meter's worth of, I don't know how many grams that is. Yeah, I don't know either. Of carbon. Yeah that have been pulled from the water around it. Correct. It is now lo no longer, this molecule has come out of the seawater around it and has been converted into this plant. A living organism. And now it is no longer carbonic acid. Mm -hmm. Now it is, it's a, it's a strand of something. Yes. And now this can be, as long as we don't burn it yep. or let it decompose, yes. um, yep. it stays that way. Yep. It stays stored. It's locked. Yeah, it's locked in there. So, And, and these, this is the important thing to do is like if we do pull it again out of the ocean and turn it into food or fertilizer or whatever, yep. as long as we are careful with it, yep. it stays that way. It stays yep. 
in this form, which yep. is, is very, very, very important. Yep. And to deploy it at scale, because I've seen interesting ones where sucking carbon dioxide out of atmosphere and then freezing it yep. uh, and putting it into a gaseous form and then pumping it to the bottom of the sea because yep. uh, it can hold at pressure yep. at something like 20,000 feet or whatever at the Mariana Trench. Yep. Uh, so there's this giant, you know, the idea of putting these giant balloons, these bubbles of yep. CO2 at the bottom of the ocean, which would just stay there. Like, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Difficult, yes. energy intensive. Yep. I've seen ones where, you know, you can pull calcium carbonate out of the sea. So it basically turns the same stuff that eggshells are made of, basically. Yep. Again, energy intensive. This, I don't know anything about farming seaweed or harvesting seaweed. I'm getting, was it just, what, do, you, do you plant it? Do you have to put it in a planter pot like you get from Woolies? <laughs> like, what do you do with it? Yeah, so what some of the experiments are working on is they're building kind of uh, like an artificial reef, almost a floating reef, whether yep. it's like a metal structure. Exactly that. And they're planting seaweed on these floating devices mm. and as the seaweed grows and gets bigger it gets heavier and so the the tray sinks deeper and deeper into the ocean ah. right and so some people are talking about how far you can do that because obviously seaweed only grows to a certain depth in the water um, because it gets too cold yes but then there's models about okay can we just eventually sink the seaweed again to the bottom of the ocean and store it on the bottom of the ocean for all time so there's a whole bunch of different models being explored at the moment. There's a whole bunch of – it's still very new, right? And I don't have all the answers. I'm mm. on a journey to find the answers. Mm. And as I said, you know, we've got to make zero co work so we can yeah. be generating profit. So yeah. we can be putting that money into building seaweed farms. What if like – and now I'm starting to get like, how about we – if there's already a naturally growing seaweed that can grow at that rate, yep. like how do we then gene splice that with something else? To create this kind of <laughs> the mega seaweed, exactly. Yeah, How do yeah, we yeah. like create this like evil dead vine yep. uh, that, that grows at such a astonishing rate? But we you know we is um, what's a plant that can't pollinate, so it can't become a weed. Yeah, okay. You know, so it uh, it only grows once, mm -hmm. like so it can't create it. Can't a single root. use plant, a single use plant. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I know what it, you mean. so a, a, a neutered plant yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it won't pollinate. So it won't become a weed. It will only grow once. Yes. You know, and this is one particular yeah. organism. And it will grow. Yeah, like this Monsanto sort of has been good at, at doing that. Well, well, here's the thing, man. There's good and bad to everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The amount of lives that have been saved by, like, don't even get me started on genetic. <laughs> Every food I eat in my life has been genetically modified. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. corn I ate for dinner last night was not natural corn. Yes. That is squillions of cross-pollinations yep. between farmers yep. to get to a, you know, an actual tasty sweet yeah, piece yep. of corn. Over 10,000 years. That is human, genetically modified yeah, yeah. food, all yeah, right? But yeah. it human really, tinkering. It is. Yeah. It absolutely is. And yeah. so there's a lot to be – like no one's been doing CRISPR stuff until like the last three years, right? So like let's just be honest. But yeah, yeah. The, the potential is is really there. And, you know, the idea of, as, as you mentioned, as a protein source, it's so important. Mm. Um, I love eating seaweed. I eat it all the time. Uh, I think it's great. <laughs> no, it's really good. Yeah, awesome. it's, a really, it's a really handy thing to, to yeah, cook yeah, with. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, it's tasty. It is really tasty. It's a really great thing to make a wrap with, which yep. I also really enjoy. Yes. And as you mentioned, the, 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 the largest growing economy on the planet is the middle class of China. Mm. Thankfully, don't think seaweed's weird. Mm, Part loves, of the diet. Love seaweed. Get on board. Totally. You know, who? If, if we could go back 20 years and go, all right, mate, we're going to plant some kale. Kale, what the yeah. fuck's that? <laughs> yep. Trust me. 
It's going to be huge. Kale's going all in on kale. If you'd gone all in on kale, like you'd be living large right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So similarly, you know, yeah. here's here's an opportunity to what's an agricultural. I don't know, milk, for example. Yeah. Like dairy milk. Like, yeah. You know, Westerners love it. Bizarre though, because wheat, uh, wheat, humongous. You know, it's yeah. that it's that of that scale. That it can we're talking, be. Isn't it, it can be. Yeah. And there's a lot of look. It's happening in Asia, mm. right? The, the Chinese are, are building huge seaweed farms really? to feed their people. It's happening. These, these things, these projects are starting to happen around the world. Yep. Far out, man. And the other great thing about seaweed is it grows in the ocean, right? There's a fair bit of ocean on the planet. <laughs> Most of the planet is ocean. <laughs> there's, yeah. a, there's a bit more ocean than land on the yeah, planet. Yeah. It's a one, I think there's one, it's a one to three ratio, 72% so of the world, yeah. So there's lots of places mm. to grow seaweed. Yeah. When I think about... You know, this country and, and what we're talking about here is that there's going to be a point where no one wants to buy our coal anymore. There and is. it's going to come pretty soon. It's happening. It's going to come mm-hmm. real soon. Mm-hmm. What are we going to do? We need to replace those jobs. We need to replace that tax revenue. We have to. We need to. to replace that industry. We absolutely have to. And there needs to be a transition for all the, those industries. Yep. We have to be forward thinking enough to go, all right. We do. These jobs that I've been standing in front of a hard hat on the six o'clock news going, mm-hmm. like, if you really care about jobs, look 20 years in the future. Mm. How are you going to look after those jobs? Yep. What what industries is the world going to need? Yeah, totally. And stuff like what you're talking about is, and, and I'm sure this is the same with plastic manufacturing. People are like, what are we going to do with the people that make all the plastic? Yeah, yeah. How, how are we going to help them? Yeah. They, they need jobs. Yeah. You know, so similarly, so like it really needs that visionary kind of leadership thinking mm. of how can we protect our economy and protect and make bold moves now so that by the time the baby that's going to visit you soon and my little boy is, is and my daughter, when they're my age. That it's, not, it's not a crappy place. No. We don't We've want still to be got highways place. in healthcare. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Well, luckily, like, luckily, there's people working on this stuff, right? So yeah. like Mike Cannon-Brooks, I don't know if you've heard about the project mm. they're talking about. He's an amazing guy. Giant solar farms in the Northern Territory with a pipeline that's going to go to Asia to ship solar power generated in Australia into Singapore. Right, they're, they're talking about building these types of projects now, huge, mass industrial scale projects that are going to create the jobs of the future. Right, it's incredible. There's people, there are amazing people out there working on these big ideas. Hang on, Mike's going to build. He, I think it's actually, uh, uh, what's his business partner, Scott Farquhar. Now, I was reading an article. They're working on a project about solar farming in the Northern Territory and shipping the electricity through sea cables into Asia. Fuck it's yeah. It's a huge idea, right? An incredible, amazing idea. And come from a guy who's just gone, I'm going to try and solve this problem because the government's not acting on this stuff. Yeah. Let's just go and do it, right? He's an amazing cat. And luckily he's got a few dollars so he can go and do this stuff, which is amazing. Well, similarly, you know, he, he is a very clever, you know, worked very, very, very hard smart to, to bring Atlassian to where it is. Yep. And thankfully, yep. you know, this planet has enough people that could be Bond villains. Yeah, yeah. And thankfully he's not. Hats off to that guy. Uh, yeah. He's a fucking legend. Absolutely. And yeah. an Australian who really deserves our support. And totally. like ideas like that are just uh, monsters. And like, and you're absolutely right. It sucks that our leaders in government aren't being visionary enough. Mm. Though I guess, you know, if you're a conservative person – your idea of small government and business will lead the way. The market will sort it out. The invisible hand will fix mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the invisible hand waits a really long time mm. before it hits go. Yeah. And that's the shitty part yeah. that we have to wait for. And it's I, I think you're right, as you said earlier, I think the economics 
of it all will, I mean, if you've seen the photos of what even a meter sea level rise will do to every major city in the world, it's, it's like, what fucking real estate developer wants that? Yeah, yeah totally. Fuck that. Yeah. Nobody wants that. Yeah. Because then, you know, where's, what happens to your holiday house in the Hamptons, mate? Yeah. <laughs> it's gone. Becomes a swimming pool. Exactly. Your living room is now a swimming pool, exactly. an ocean pool. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, you know, these places that you used to think, wow, look at these beautiful verdant plains. Well, now they're new cities because everyone had to evacuate from yeah, the coastlines. Yeah, yeah. And nobody wants that. I know. It's crazy, right? Yeah. And also, I, I constantly think about this stuff when I'm traveling about these, these beautiful cities on the water. Mm. If sea level does rise a meter and these cities go underwater, we're not going to go in and remove all the buildings, right? No. There's just going to be buildings in the ocean. There's not mm. going to be beaches anymore. The beaches will have, like, there'll be buildings. Yeah. Like buildings submerged in water. If we don't do something about this, that's what's going to happen. There'll be no more swimming. <laughs> it's just, it's yeah. mind-boggling, right? We'll have to swim with shoes for eternity. Yeah. In case we- <laughs> It's crazy. Like when you swim in a creek and you got to put your shoes on so you don't hit a log or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like yeah. that's what yeah. – the no more barefoot swimming for anyone yeah. ever. Yeah. <laughs> that's no fun. <laughs> that's no fun for anybody. Totally. I think the good thing about the plastic issue though is uh, whilst there is still a small section of the community out there globally who want to debate whether climate change is happening or not, and I'm not going to get into that, but the good thing about plastic is <laughs> – the plastic problem – is that nobody's debating it because you can see it, right? Yeah. Like you go to the beach and it's there. So Scott Morrison coming out while at the UN at supposedly at a climate conference and starting to talk about plastic, it's amazing that he's taking a perspective on this and he's saying we're going to solve it. I think it's great because the good thing about this bad problem is you can see it. So there's no debate about plastic. We all see it every single day, you know. You go to the beach, you go to Bondi Beach, there's plastic on Bondi Beach every morning. They've got trucks there cleaning it up every day. So there's no debate about the plastic problem, which means I'm, I'm pretty hopeful we're going to solve this problem pretty quickly because there is consensus. And if the hummingbird effect were true, then you're using hopefully diminishing, largely diminishing – uh, the, the dream, the fairy tale would be that you're largely diminishing an off-cut product that is a fairly sizable chunk of the oil totally. revenue. Yep. And then as investors see, we're not making as much money as we used to. Let's put our money somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Then divestment starts to happen in the oil industry. And then, you know, uh, uh, so, uh, at happen. the end, and then climate change starts to get addressed yep. through the power of economics, which yep. which is it's a bit shit. That is, that's the way it's hopefully going to be, but this is what we are. That's how it works. This is where we are. That's how it's always worked. Um, it's, it's sad, but, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, here we are. Yeah. Extraordinary. What do you need in the next, like this, as you mentioned, you stop hitting refresh, you're like, oh, crocky, and now I've got to yeah, deliver. Yeah. So, what happens now? You know, I don't know much about startup stuff, but I know the word sprint is involved. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we've, we gave ourselves a bit over six weeks in this Kickstarter campaign, right? The base target we need to hit is 250 grand or $251,313 to be precise. That's enough money to get us into production Mm -hmm. to make this thing happen. We will hit that in the next 48 hours based on our kind of run rate, which gives us nearly six weeks now to, to turn this little snowball into an avalanche. So the big mission we're trying to set out here is to remove 1 million single-use plastic bottles from the planet within our first 12 months. And to do that, we need to get 14,000 Aussies 
on board and to support our Kickstarter campaign to buy their first box of products and join this movement. We're at about 1,800 as of today. So we're over 10% of the way, almost 15% of the way there, and we've still got six weeks to go. So that's the big rallying cry to Australia is every Aussie from every town, city, state around the country should join us on this mission and solve this problem by getting a box. If we get to 14,000 households, we remove a million bottles from the planet in our first year. And that million is a nut punch to Coles, to Woolies, to the big players. That's that's enough to make people listen and go, hang on. That that's enough to go, where did that one percent of sales go? There's a groundswell of support here, right? Yeah. That's that's when that happens. It's a tipping point. Um, Did you figure that out? Like a million was the tipping point? Well, I just think a million is a nice number. It's a bloody good it's number. It's a really big number. Who doesn't love that number? <laughs> it's a big, audacious, bold number. Yeah. And look, I hope we get there. I really hope we do. 14,000 households is not a huge percentage. There's over 9 million households in Australia. So it's a tiny fraction of households. But to be able to strip a million bottles out of the supply chain in our first year. It's a huge thing that our country can be proud of. We can lead the world here. Yeah. You know, it's not just a signal to the supermarkets and to the big brands. It's a it's a signal to people in power in Australia. Yeah. It's a signal to other countries and other people around the world yeah. that Australia is we're serious about this and we're going to take a leadership perspective. And it would be such an amazing thing for us as a country to be proud of and say we are leading the world in this plastic problem. Yeah, and as you mentioned, it's uh, you've already got some big players paying attention, yep. but it's enough of a number that, because when you're at Johnson & Johnson, Unilever, your margins are tiny. Mm-hmm. You know, you make a lot of money because you ship billions of this stuff. Yep. And so if you lose 1%, mm-hmm. that's significant. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. significant. And that'll make you go, hang on a second, where'd that 1% go? Exactly. And then they start to dig in yep. and then they make it, they go, well, we've got a choice to make here. Yep. You know, hopefully you can demonstrate that the, this is the other part that sucks, but it's the way of the world. Um, you can demonstrate that there is value for the brand to look. It's VB saying they're going to be made by solar power. Yeah. There's value to the brand to be said, look at us. Look at what we're yeah, doing for exactly. you. And yep. then bang. Yep. You know, and if that's what it takes, man. Yep. So be it. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So, mate, I can't thank you enough for this conversation. I'm, I'm real excited for you. I'm great. I'm glad it's you. I'm glad that it's not your first one. Yep. I'm glad you've had a couple. No, it's really <laughs> yeah, important because yeah. people do come into this and go, and we're going to do this. And then they get all the Kickstarter money and then it just falls over because they've yep. never run a business before. And they think buying the ping pong table for the office is more important than delivering, yeah. you know, because they, exactly. they've watched Silicon Valley too many times. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, totally. It, it's really, really important. I've been on the merry-go-round enough. That you know yeah. what it is and you've eaten the Maggi noodles and yeah. you know... And that's, I think I'm excited for you. Yeah. And we've also got some amazing investors that have come on board. Great. Rob Chapman, the ex-CEO of St. George Bank, currently the chairman of the Adelaide Crows, sits on the board of Cooper's Brewery. Jenny Ma, former KPMG director. Raymond Spencer, serious entrepreneur. They've tipped in money. They believe in the project. They sit on my board now as well. I've got a board meeting with those guys next week. So I've got some 60-year-old men and a 40-year-old woman sitting on a board guiding this thing in the background to make sure that we do deliver this thing properly. Um, so it's not just me. It's not yeah. just my experience. There's 50 years of business experience sitting behind it. Amazing. Which is awesome, and I'm so stoked that those guys came on board. You know, they've, they've helped bring this to fruition as much as anybody else. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when it's, it speaks volumes when someone who's like – and we've all, you know, seen what the Royal Commission said, but when someone who's like from the banking industry mm-hmm. has gone, boom, there's an opportunity. Yeah. Like it's not just the right thing to do. That's where the money's going to get made. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And though, I think those, any business, 
if, you, if you're listening right now and you're creating a business, if you're not creating a business that is not only just the right thing to do, but also like a real proper triple bottom line business, then, yeah. you know, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> I think the time of just exploitation for wealth is, is over. Yeah. I don't think consumers want that anymore. Yeah, totally. I think if you're trying to start a new business and it's not purpose-driven, if you don't have a mission beyond just making money, you're just not going to succeed. Like we have moved so far beyond that, beyond just money for money's sake. People want things that solve problems. And if you are solving a problem, people will support you. That's what I've learned in six days of, of having this project live. You have an idea, you try and solve a problem, you be honest and transparent with people about it. You tell them the vision, you ask them to join you. And so far people have joined us and it's been amazing. So yeah. Cause I like, like I said, when I started this conversation with you, I think people just, everyone knows. Everybody says we've got to do something. Yeah, but I haven't. I can't do anything. Yeah, I want to do something. Oh, here's something I can do. Let me now, do it. Here it is, right now. I'll do it today. Yeah, unreal. Yep. The best. All yep. the best with it, man. It's gonna be awesome. Thank you so much. <laughs> so good. That was a really good one. Thank you, mate. That was Mike Smith. You can find out more about Mike at zeroco.com.au. That's Z-E-R-O-C-O, zeroco.com.au. A big thanks to my audio producer, Andy Ma, who's cut this show together, Rachel Barrett, my show producer, Mike Mills, Toe Hider, who made the music today, and as always, Clancy, Errol, uh, Shannon, and Anthony, and the team at the Batuta Advocate for letting me use their studios. It's always great to, uh, to record a show there. I hope you had a fantastic week. Uh, I hope you have a fantastic week. Sorry, future Dan Skinsberg. Um, I hope what you're doing is great. And um, thanks for being a part of this. Uh, if you need me through the week, send us your email at gmail.com. Until I speak to you Friday, sleep well and dream of beautiful things. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.